0: Sacred Space. So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space. My name is John Keely. It's joined in studio here by Shane Ambrose. And of course, Lorraine is still joining us as well. Uh, This evening, uh, we said, uh, as we spoke to a number of weeks ago, we said we would have a guest on the program to share with us some of their thoughts, or his thoughts, on Humanivator, which of course is 50 years in existence this particular year. So, uh, to help me to uh, present this part of the programme this morning, I'll hand over to my colleague, Shane. Shane. Thanks, John. We have on the other end
1: of the telephone, excuse me, I forgot to introduce our guest. Maybe you can. Sure, no hassle. So, this morning we're joined by uh, Tom, Tom, Thomas, Tom Finnegan from Mary Macleod. Good morning, Thomas. How's things?
2: Good thanks good thanks for Jamie. you
1: not too bad now at all and as John said at the top of the program this year uh, one of the anniversaries that's been marked in church circles um is of course the uh, 50th anniversary of the publication of the papal encyclical Humanae Vitae. And of course, as, as well as it being the 50th anniversary of the publication of the encyclical, in October we're also celebrating, or will be celebrating, the canonization of Paul VI, which was, he's being canonised ar- on or around October the 15th. So this morning, um, Tom has joined us from Immaculate, just to kind of take us through I suppose the basics around Humanae Vitae and kind of to just remind us what it says, what it's about and also, I suppose, context to why, in some respects, it's so controversial. But before we dive into that kind of of heavy lifting, Tom, where are you from yourself?
2: I'm originally from Navan, County Mead, so I grew up there, and um, then I went to college in in Maynooth, in in Caldera. I initially went to Dublin, DCU, uh, to do accountancy, but then I I switched and uh, began studying theology in Maynooth, and... I uh, lived in Clare for a good while and only recently enough uh, moved down here to Thurlis, to the new uh, Mary Immaculus College campus in Thurlis, um, in the Department of Theology and Religious Studies here. Ah,
1: very good. Uh, you got sense and left accounting. I wish I had done that myself. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, uh, thanks very much for joining us on the programme this morning. And you were saying you, you, you're lecturing with Mary Eye. Just in general, what are your areas that you cover uh, in Mary Eye when you're lecturing or what's your, what's your background, if you like, in that sense?
2: Yeah, well, my research interest would be the area of um, moral philosophy and moral theology. Um, but I teach also um, in systematic uh, theology. I have a background as well, qualifications in, um, in in law as well, and I studied philosophy independently as well. So, morality um, is my main interest, um, though there's all sorts of other areas in that I'd be, you know, a kind of an interested um, uh, looker on really. Uh, so, for example, one of the things I teach at the moment is, is Christology, which is, you know, really fascinating, but it's not something I, I actively research in.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. So as we were saying uh, th- uh, Thomas uh, the, the this year is the 50th anniversary of the And I suppose for many people um they might be aware of the name and that you know it's it's a controversial enough papal document as it was at the time and even is down to the present day. But but before we start I suppose into you know the document itself which was published in July 68 there was there was a bit of history leading up to it. Uh and actually we could go back as far as I suppose if you like you know, 1930 in particular, with with the decision of the Anglican Church, just in relation to yes. the whole area of artificial contraception.
2: Yeah, so in 1930, uh, the Anglican Communion's Lambeth uh, Conference decided that in certain circumstances, uh, contraception uh, could be legitimately used by couples. Now, this decision. Again, it was controversial uh, within the Communion at the time. Uh, Bishop resigned from the, the conference uh, in light of that decision. The decision also in 1930 contradicted or overturned a previous decision a previous uh, Anglican conference uh, in 1920. Um, so the first time any, I suppose you could call it, uh, Christian community or Christian church uh, taught that contraception could be moral, uh, could be practiced without sin, up until that point... It was pretty much the universal teaching of all mainline Christian churches that it was a sin to to use contraception, either within or, or outside uh, marriage. And indeed, a book published, I think, it was in 1963 by uh, by a scholar, John Noonan, on the subject, uh, concluded um, that uh, pretty much every main uh, theologian or saint or doctor of the church that has ever spoken on the topic um, up until the 20th century uh, thought that it was it was wrong. Um, so that was the first break that occurred, and obviously, um, when that happened, um, first of all, the kind of the secular press hailed it as a momentous uh, event, and that they hailed it as something that would have a profound impact upon you know society and culture and 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 moral norms and so on. And obviously, it didn't take very long for pressure to come on the Catholic Church to revisit its teaching on on contraception. That that teaching itself had been. Uh, reaffirmed very emphatically um in 1930 uh by Pope Pius XI in a papal encyclical called Casti Canubi.
1: So okay so they so Pius Pius had 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 he was he responding to the Lambeth conference or it was just coincidental at the time.
2: Actually I'm not sure I'm not okay. sure the same year obviously as the Lambeth conference mm. um but I'm not sure which preceded uh, which, I mean, obviously, at least one of the churches was fully cognizant of, of what was going on in the other church at the time. Mm, okay. and so it was an important year, kind of, it set those two communions apart on a, on a pretty important area of, of moral theology. Mm. Um, obviously, that, that has implications well beyond moral teaching. That has implications in terms of, 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 of communion and, and ecclesiology between the two churches that, you know, resonate today uh, quite strongly.
1: Right, and then, um, then in terms of in terms of I suppose looking at it from a from a Catholic point of view, I suppose it was we we were moving on forties and six up to the sixties, and of course the big change in the early nineteen sixties, of course, is uh, the 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 if you like the coming on to the scene of the the contraceptive pill and the challenge then that that posed to the church's teaching. So um, in the, the first time I suppose the church looked at it was this commission from John the twenty third. Of course, good Saint. Good Pope Saint John uh, decided he was going to look at it, um, and of course that was also done in the whole context of the calling of the Vatican Council. So, that what what was the story behind that commission that John called?
2: Yeah, as you say, Shane, I suppose kind of the the motive for that is probably twofold. Um, there's obviously a lot of pressure, social cultural pressure, coming on the Church to you know have a look again at this teaching because it's it's seen and it's understood as a harsh teaching uh, by many. And obviously in the 60s, you've got the, the sexual revolution. You've got, uh, it really was a revolution in terms of um, a kind of societal attitude towards sex and responsibility and marriage and family and all of that. And obviously at the heart of it was the idea of free love. And if anything is incompatible with free love, it's the church's teaching on um, and contraception. So that was going on. The other thing that was going on was, as you mentioned, um, the massive, massive, uh, I suppose, scientific breakthrough that was the pill prior to this, uh, contraception took the form of barrier methods and forms of condoms most obviously Um that's you know the success rate of condoms uh, isn't isn't particularly high they're awkward to use and so on With the invention of the pill women could uh, bring contraceptive use under their own control and um, and it seemed to raise new questions for example it's quite obvious in the case of condoms that something has been prevented um whereas in the case of the pill uh, a lot of theologians would have said, "Well, look, what's going on with the pill is, is something that's different. Um, you've got a suppression of, of the ovulatory system of women's woman's system. You know, does that raise different uh, biological and theological issues?" Um, so, in light of that, the Pope uh, established a commission to look uh, again at these questions. Um, this commission itself was, was referenced uh, in, in the document *Gaudium et Spes* of Vatican II, and footnote 14 of it, uh, when it, when it kind of touched briefly on this issue. And there was a lot of expectation uh, within and with outside uh, the, the church uh, as to what this uh, commission would say. A lot of people were hoping that it would come back with a, with a yes answer, come back and say, you know, in certain circumstances, in light of technological developments or whatever else, it might be permissible, it might not be a sin uh, for, for couples, uh, for faithful for couples to use contraception.
1: And of course <clears throat> uh then of course we head into the end of the council and it was interesting that um Paul the Sixth increased uh, that original commission from John the twenty third, but originally there was only six um people on it, and Paul enlarged it I think it was it, to fifty eight members, and quite a varied um membership because he included married couples, laywomen as well as theologians and bishops. Um But obviously, of course, he had reserved the actual final decision on it to himself, and he'd taken it out of the council's remit. And, of course, that brings us along then, I suppose, to the actual encyclical itself, which was published in um, in 1968. Now, I suppose one of the biggest, I suppose, challenges in relation to this is is the fact that probably a lot of people have heard of the document. Probably most people know... One of the basic tenets of what they what what it says in terms of the use or non use of artificial contraception, but probably a lot of people don't actually know what Umaniviti said. Um, if you could kind of summarise it in a couple of points, what do you think would be the key things that came about that Paul was trying to teach at that time?
2: Right, it's not the easiest thing to summarise. No, That's I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I begin by by um, just outlining briefly some of the things that it didn't affirm, that mm. it didn't propose, it didn't say. It nowhere said that um, uh, marital sex that doesn't result in children is wrong. Uh, It nowhere said that it is wrong or a sin for couples to uh, not have very large families or to try and limit uh, the number of children they have. Uh, What it did uh, say is, uh, positively, that uh, marriage isn't just a social institution, um, it's actually part of God's plan uh, for humanity, especially God's plan for human sexuality. Uh, that marriage is a great good and marital sex is a great good uh, in fact that marital sex is kind of intrinsic and essential to marriage it's not some sort of kind of happy add-on marital sex really is the expression of, of, a, of a deep and massively important union between uh, husband and wife uh, it did say, and this is getting to the heart of the teaching um, that uh, sexual intercourse between husband and wife has kind of two dimensions which are both you know, intrinsically important One is the procreative dimension, uh, which is that dimension whereby, I suppose, um, couples unfold their love for each other uh, by bringing into life uh, a a new person, a new person made in the image and likeness of God, who's also, in in a very important way, in the image and likeness of themselves, of course. The other dimension is the unitive dimension, uh, that sex is, is really unitive, not just emotionally, although it is, not just in terms of pleasure, although it is, not just psychologically, although it is, but it's unitively, uh, real, uh, probably in the most important sense, in, in which it, it unites two bodies, the, the husband and wife, really do become one flesh with one another. And the point that the Encyclical makes is that uh, the contraception uh, undermines and actually opposes both those dimensions to uh, to, to marital, marital conjugal love. Probably more obvious in the in the case of, of procreation, because obviously in, with the use of contraceptives, uh, the the couples uh, oppose uh, their, their will opposes the bringing into new life of a person. Uh, their their will uh, deliberately choosing to use contraception is opposed to uh, to the good of life, to the good of a new uh, human being who is made in the image and likeness of God theologians since then have pointed out that there can be no, you know, justifiable reason to set one's will opposed to life in, in that way life is is, is you know, hugely valuable there is no greater value uh, than than a, in this world uh, than than a, than a new human being than a, than a, an individual person with their own d- a distinct identity and the other way in which uh, contraception undermines uh, the marital uh, love in the form of uh, sex between husband and wife is is that it actually undermines the very basis uh, for thinking that they really do form a a union, a real union in marital sex. The way in which husband and wife become one primarily is by becoming one body and become one body because um, they really do unite at the level of of, of reproduction. Um, Reproduction can only take place when, uh, when there are two uh, mutually coordinated uh, bodies that are differentiated in terms of sex and gender working together complementar- in a complementary way. And contraception undermines that. It, 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 it dissolves the basis for those bodies working together. There's something that's kind of uh, their, their, their union, their bodily union is temporarily sterilized in the form of contraception, whether it's condoms or pill or whatever else. And that actually dissolves at the bodily union. There is kind of the appearance of a, of a bodily union still the feeling of a bodily union, but in reality, and moral theology has to deal in reality. There is no union uh, at that level. Mm. That's, I think, well, that's my summary of the of, mm. of of the core of the teaching. I mean, it's not an easy teaching. The the document, Humana Vitae points out, that uh, Catholic couples, um, you know, need to find assistance in living out this teaching uh, through sacramental grace and through prayer. Um, that this teaching will never make any sense to anybody who is not kind of in control. Of, of their emotions and of their sex drive, you know, the chastity is an essential ingredient for living out this uh, this teaching, but it also teaches that, and it's right in saying that it's perfectly possible uh, to live out this teaching, and that the living out this teaching is to the, uh, is to the enrichment, uh, benefits the enrichment of of marital love, um, and it's, it benefits the, the spouse's relationship uh, with, you know, not just themselves, but uh, with, uh, with God, who is the author of life uh, himself
1: and i suppose that be that i suppose would be one of the main i feel like challenges to the teaching even from 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 the moment of its publication in 68 up to uh up to now is i suppose people would say it's unrealistic it's you know in 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 one sense or that it's it's setting an ideal which people really can't live up to or it doesn't it's just not practical for people in their everyday lives but i suppose i suppose yeah. that's 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 part of i suppose having to um, engage with the teaching and see what way we can we can live up it up to it. Would you say?
2: Yeah, well, I mean the I mean there's all sorts of different arguments uh, levelled against Humana Vitae. Um So the claim that it's impractical and that it can't be lived up to is is one of the ones that's easiest to defeat because it's an empirical uh, argument and it's empirically falsified. People do live up to it. Mm. Um, I mean, there's literally you, you can't have precise numbers, but quite literally hundreds of thousands of couples around the world live up to it. Um, in the course of their lives so I mean it's, it's certainly doable and um, you know and there's lots of uh, I mean another teaching of the church in relation to morality is that it's always wrong to to lie um, Tom hello um, and again context what's that
1: sorry could you could you go back again you said yeah hello Tom are you there
2: hello yeah Shane yeah.
1: So, sorry we dropped you there for a second you were saying about it's wrong to lie so if you could take it from there again
2: yeah, well, just I mean, the, the church also teaches that it's intrinsically wrong to lie. I mean, that's not an easy teaching to live up to, but uh, you know, again, people do live up to it. And just because a teaching might be difficult, doesn't mean that it's not a true teaching, or it doesn't really outline a uh, good, um, uh, virtuous, healthy, fulfilling ways of of, of living one's life. Um, so it certainly it's, it, it, it can be done. Obviously, it's it's it probably this document came at in a way, the worst possible time because it's been presented to a culture that's increasingly, I suppose, oblivious to the idea that uh, there's something intrinsically meaningful and important and beautiful and loving about sex. It's a culture which is you know, increasingly pornographied, uh, individualistic, materialistic, um, nihilistic even, um, and it's a culture that struggles even at this point in time to see any sense. In the idea that marriage just itself is something mm. worthy and good and worth pursuing. So, obviously, a teaching in relation to contraception being intrinsically wrong is just going to get a very poor hearing. The other issue in relation to its reception is that it was promulgated at a time where, as I mentioned earlier, there was this huge technological uh, breakthrough with the pill, um, which made contraception so much easier. Like, there's always been contraception, I mean, there's been the withdrawal method since time immemorial condoms first came on the scene i suppose maybe roughly later in period and so on um but with the pill you have uh, i suppose a massive improvement in the efficacy of contraception so the the, the you know the the um kind of successful uh, the success of the pill if used properly is something in the region of 99% uh in in cases which is a very high percentage rate at the time human activity was promulgated um, the, the method that couples would need to use to space out their children, if they wanted to do so uh, while avoiding use of contraception, uh, you know, would have been something like the rhythm method. Um, and at the time, you know, to, to use the rhythm method, it wasn't particularly scientifically sophisticated. Um, you know, maybe charts could be used at the time, but it would have made it quite hard and burdensome and awkward uh, for couples, especially for the woman, to use it. Uh, whereas if the, the encyclical is propagated now, um, you've got, you know, a number of important advancements in terms of technology that makes, uh, you know, adhering to HumanaVitae a lot easier. You've got, um, you know, electronic devices like LadyCom, for example, um, which where it's very easy for uh, the, the wife to record her temperature and gives an automatic reading as to whether or not she's fertile. You've got various apps that can be used, easily downloaded, you know, very cheap use of these methods overall is as cheap as contraceptives if not cheaper it's as successful as contraceptives uh, and more successful in terms of you know efficacy than, than condoms for example and obviously it doesn't bring any um, health risks adverse health risks or so on as the pill can sometimes do so in a way so the kind of the number the point is that humanity was was promulgated at possibly uh, the worst time in mm. terms of societal reception
1: I actually I find that an interesting point. <coughs> Sorry, that you you were saying that, if you know, in terms of if it was published today, in some ways it could actually almost be defended, in an easier in, at an easier level, in terms of that because of the technological advances that have been given. The other thing that struck me when I was reading back through it, um, and this is something that's often been said about it, and I I, I was wondering uh, in terms of people's views on it that some were saying that Paul's take on the consequences of what um, Pope Francis now calls a kind of a contraceptive culture was very prophetic in some regards. And like, I was just, you know, reading through it and it, it, it was just saying, you know... Um, they were talking about kind of lowering of moral standards, which everyone kind of worries about today in some regards, in terms of uh, the exposures to temptation for young people, given the increased worries that we have in terms of access to whatever it is online and and, and, and on the web. Uh, but what I what really struck me actually was his, his, section, his section or his line seeing how men would react and, and uh, their views and the way that they treat women. And I was thinking to myself, it wouldn't be a stretch actually to say the whole, you know, the whole Me Too movement uh, could actually take that particular line from Humanivita where he says, you know, men who grow accustomed to the use of the contraceptive methods may forget reverence due to women, disregard for physical and emotional equilibrium, you know, reduce her to being a mere instrument for their satisfaction and no longer consider them as a partner which, who they should surround with care and affection. And I was just thinking to myself, in many ways, you know, you could actually just take that out and put it into a Me Too movement uh, tweet, and it would not be out of place.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really important to understand Humana Vitae is, is, in many respects, just one small component part of a wider organic teaching about love and the relationship between men and women and marriage. Uh, it's very easy to misunderstand it as this kind of isolated add-on. That's just a, you know, a kind of a really annoying, harsh teaching that the church just threw in, uh, you know, for the crack. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like the underlying logic of it is very clear, and it's contained in the text that you know, marriage is about love. It's about the gift the, of oneself to one's spouse, uh, completely freely and, com- and 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 totally holding nothing back, uh, not holding back any part of your body, or any part of your being, or any part of your future uh you know exposing yourself to the other um to the extent that your love is, is is complete and everything is given Um, you know, not trying to say yes to one aspect of your spouse and no to the other you know no to the to the possibility that we we may have children together it's just been completely open and completely loving and um, so obviously at the heart of this then is real reverence for you know both the husband from the perspective of the wife and uh, for the wife from the perspective of the husband uh, and the Pope does make that point as uh, just outlined there that if you kind of if you if you say that um it's it's permissible to um see the other person's body as a means towards your own sexual gratification, which is ultimately what contraception is about because I mean you know people that want contraception don't want it just for marriage they want it as a way of making uh, pretty much every sexual choice easier to accomplish um if if you see that. As as permissible, then obviously down the line, logically, you are going to have to come to the conclusion that, you know, the other person who is always embodied, isn't actually that important anyway. Um, and and I think that's what's happened. Um, so I know, like a lot of the, when this was again when this was first promulgated, you would have had a lot of liberals in the United States and 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 um and England, for example, who would have uh, said that the church's teaching relation to contraception is kind of anti-woman because um ultimately the burden on child rearing falls on women and they would have kind of interpreted the humana vitae as saying that you cannot uh, but have loads and loads of children that it's wrong not to have not to limit your family or it's wrong to limit your family and that's not what humana vitae, uh, humana vitae teaches but that's how it was often interpreted so a lot of people would have said that humana vitae is anti-woman this is very same sort of liberal mentality that would have been saying that you know it's important to stand up for women's rights stand up for the right to abortion the very same sort of liberal uh, grouping that would have uh, very much supported and financed and consumed pornography. Because again, in the 60s, you have this explosion in pornography that's continued today, uh, especially in the internet age. Um, and of course, we now know uh, that this explosion in pornography um, has has basically um, led to a situation uh, where the Me Too movement seems completely necessary, mm-hmm. where uh, where it's you know taken for granted that young men objectify... Uh, and depersonalise women when it comes to when it comes to sex, uh, where you know rape there's such a thing as a rape culture where you have a case cases in England that the government feels need to run adverts saying that rape is wrong. Uh, that only kind of happens in a culture where you see little Playboy t-shirts for girls appearing in in in, in you know supermarket stores, as happened a number of years ago. Uh, so the two go hand in hand, and I suppose in that sense, what Yevgeny Vivi was doing was something that was, you know, countercultural in the sense of opposing where we've ended up, and also really prophetic. Um, it, it, it is saying that you know, if, if, you, if you adopt this attitude, the casual sex is is okay. If you think it's okay to depersonalise yourself and the other person to use another person for your own gratification, that's going to have consequences. Um, and you know, I think that's that's been borne out. I think that's come to pass.
1: Okay. Unfortunately, we're coming up to our time limits on this one. So, thanks very much, very much for coming on the program to tell us and talk to us about that, and just remind us of what it is. And I suppose, in some ways, in if you like, the, the challenge it still poses to us very much today uh, in relation to that particular teaching. And um, good food and, and some very interesting food for thought, actually, Tom. In the last co- in the last segment there, in terms of you know the consequences it has in terms of of, of the society that we like and the cho- and the choices that we make. Um, something for us, I suppose, to think about this. Morning on the program. Now, John, we have a couple of selections of music. To, or we have a selection of music to close out this segment. Yeah, I think uh,
0: Tom, there's one you picked. There, there is a kingdom. Yes, we have, we've just <coughs> got about right. time to play that. We, we might just play it that one time and see where we go after that. Okay, let's hear this. Yep. by and it, it's the, there is a kingdom by whom? Did you say it was again? It's
2: uh, Nick Cave and the Bad
0: Seeds. Okay, let's hear this off.
2: sacred space.